Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore the essential role design plays in our everyday lives and how, if harnessed correctly, has the power to positively transform the way that we live, design better businesses and sustainable solutions for the planet. We speak to creative entrepreneurs around the world about how they inspire their ideas to life and how they make it all work and the role design plays in their lives. I'm your host, founder of Frost Collective and author of Design Your Life, Vince Frost. Welcome to today's episode of Design Your Life. Today I catch up with Dan Hickson and Nick West, the dynamic duo behind the critically acclaimed music and sound studio, Smith & Western. Tune in as we chat about the impact sound and music can have in brand retention and how their shared love for music influenced their careers and how they work with businesses across the world to design their sonic brands. Dan and Nick, welcome to Design Your Life. How are you guys doing? Really good, Vince. Thanks for having us on, mate. It's such a privilege to be with you guys today. And it's kind of it's interesting because we were a little while ago uh, with your Creative Le- uh, Relay podcast that we did, that you guys were doing. Yes. Um, I was in this very room. Was that a year ago? Two years ago now? It's probably it longer. It was before COVID. Yeah. Oh I would God. say it was before COVID, yeah. Wow. And my guest was Sir John Hegarty out of London, who's an incredible right. ad man. And, um, and uh, it was really cool to be in this room uh, having that conversation um, and also in a, a proper recording studio, which is what this is. Yeah. In the heart of Redfern. I think that was the most popular creative relay we've had. Is, is yeah, it was nothing to do with Vince, though. I think it was no. more about John Hager. Yeah, of course. <laughs> well, thank you for that. No, I'm I appreciate that. Yeah, the two of you together. Yeah, no, it was it was it was really cool when you said, "Hey, who would you like to talk to?" Is it just explain the relay thing because I think well, it was a really great idea. The the relay uh, was was started quite a few years ago, where we invite a creative person in, and we interview them, and then it's their job <clears throat> to invite the next guest on, and that person then comes in, and the original person interviews them. And then it carries on from there. So the baton gets handed on, and and it does take you off into some interesting areas. And we've we've had some amazing people on it. Um, often it will be people that they they know quite well, and they just want to have a good old chat. And other times it might be somebody they've never met or they've got huge respect for creatively. Yeah. And it just goes on from there. So it's it's good yeah. fun. And John Hegarty was <clears throat> someone I have huge respect for, but I was I said I'd love to speak to him, but I wasn't hundred percent sure whether it would happen or not. It's incredible through kind of knocking on a few doors to kind of finally get to somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows him. And then it kind of all, all opened up, which yeah. is really, really cool. Oh, that's fantastic. And thank you for getting him in. It was, uh, it was a really good coup for us and sort of brought a lot of attention to the Creative Relay. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to get him in today, but you guys, um, <laughs> I couldn't get hold of him again, but no, I'm joking. Um, substitute. Yeah, really cool to be here. Um, you guys are at the the front runners in Sonic Branding Space, and I know, um, Nick, you came to the studio the other day and, and mm-hmm. talked to my team about that Sonic Branding, and, oh. and it's something that we're all passionate about. Kind of, I guess the core of this conversation today is really about what that means and mm-hmm. and how do we do it how do we encourage other people to be doing it etc yeah uh, as well um but let's just kind of start with kind of you to youtube because you're dan you're from kent originally in england yeah, that's right um and you made your uh you made your kind of start out in the music industry yes um talk talk more about that how do you start off well, my my thing at school was was piano and guitar, and um, as soon as I realised that that was kind of fun, uh, got a band together at school, and and um, in those days it would have been O levels and A levels in in England, and uh, I decided that I was going to make a complete mess of them because I was uh, wanted to be a pop star and I didn't need them. Um, yeah. So uh, having and, left, and you got the hair for it too. Right? <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. still got it. You still have it. Yeah. So um, after leaving school, I went straight into uh, up up to London to to form a band and try and try and be a pop star, which in those days was you know it was the time of of Duran Duran and Spandau Ballet and mm-hmm. Culture Club and all those sort of bands. And my aim was to to do something like that. It didn't go very well. I had a, a several different bands which never quite made it, but I did end up. Um, a friend of mine was in a band that uh, released an album and they had a hit single. And he uh, had a, a band called Matt Bianco. Yeah. And at the time, uh, it was their first single. He called me and he said, our bass player 
has been drafted into the Brazilian army and has been whisked off. Um, oh would you like to come in and play bass for us? And I said, sure, what's, you know, what's the gig? And he said, Top of the Pops. So oh. I made it onto Top of the Pops, which was one of my bucket list things in, in life. Um, so that was good fun. And after that, we, we went on and I did several different performances with them over the next year or two as they were promoting that album and all their singles. So I got to see a bit of the pop star life. <laughs> But um, it wasn't really my band, and I didn't actually record anything with them. Yeah. Uh, but it was good fun. Um, it must have been fun to be on top of the pops. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's funny because you say Matt Bianco's. I, 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 strangely, I did um, Matt Bianco's album Grand Via in 1995, mm. uh, which is, is just bizarre kind of coincidence, isn't it? We're both in Sydney, but... <laughs> We both worked on the same similar band and um, same band in uh, back in the UK. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you, you used to do album covers for for bands. Is that what we were yeah, doing I, at the I, time? Yeah, I'd done um, Spice Girls, Ronan Keating, uh, Matt Bianco, Paul Young. Wow. There was kind of a certain genre that I seemed to. Uh, which which, uh, which Paul Young album did you do? Do you remember? Uh, Crossroads. All right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, often it came in through the photographer mm -hmm. um, who kind of brought me into the project. I, I love doing album covers. Um, but music is so powerful, isn't it? And and so I guess like growing up with listening to Tell the Pops back in England and, and, and watching that, the bands, the brands, the different genres is so kind of of its time. I mean, I guess yeah. it's of any time it's the same thing, but it's still something that resonates so much with me now, that music of that period. It was a classic era, wasn't it? Yeah. Around that time, so many good bands. Yeah, it's awesome. yeah exactly. What about you, Nick? I heard there was a massive party in Japan that pushed you to dive headfirst into music. Yeah, so I guess my music journey started a little bit earlier before Japan. Um, mm. I always loved music. I mean, from the from my teenage years, I just really embraced music. I, I mean, most people do, right? Mm. You know, we had our Walkmans back in the day. Yeah. Um, someone would find a CD or even create a bootleg tape, you know, and, and friends would be introducing me to bands like The Cure or Rage Against the Machine. And wow. it was a whole broad spectrum of music. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't quite sure whether I was going to be able to make a career out of it. Um, I, was, I had no training in music at all, so... I'd, I'd done no A-levels or I'd never picked up a guitar in my life. Um, and I didn't pick up an instrument until I was in my 20s. Wow. But um, I did love music. And uh, when I finished my degree, I did a commerce degree at uni, um, purely probably pushing down towards a safer route in life. Um, you know, dad was probably pretty good influence in that way. Um, and I did a marketing major. And when I graduated, I managed to pick up a job at a record company, which was which was great. So that, that got me into the music industry, but on the business side. Mm -hmm. Um, and I pursued that for about a year, but progressively I just got more and more bored with it <laughs> and I started to realise, oh, maybe I'm not so suited to this side of the business, maybe I want to be into the creative side. And and that happened through the discovery of music um, by going out with friends, you know, going out with my cousin and, um, you know, partying and so on. And when I went to Japan... There was an amazing music scene there, uh, electronic music scene. It was actually the Goa trance scene back in the 90s, so yeah. it's a little bit embarrassing to mention that because most people just think of arpeggiated synths and, I don't know, incense. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that was the right scene for me, and we just absolutely lapped that up. Like every, We would go away to festivals on the weekends in the, in the mountains of Japan and just have an amazing experience. Wow. And from that point on, uh, I discovered that I just really loved it, and then I started to pursue DJing, um, and I was DJing in Tokyo for a couple of years there, mm. and that's where it sort of really kicked off. Wow. And then yeah. how did you get back to Australia? Um, so I'd been there for a couple of years, and, and I'd sort of run out of avenues, um, and I decided I wanted to come back to Australia and focus more on, on the music, seriously. Um, so I came back and set up my own studio here um, in Sydney, and was just purely just like day-to-day, -day, living day-to-day -day really. I mean, when you're that age, you don't really have any commitments, so you've yeah. got the opportunity to explore life and make some mistakes, and uh, I did plenty of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was actually pretty good at playing a didgeridoo. Um, a friend of mine had taught me to play didgeridoo when I was in Japan, weirdly enough. <laughs> yeah. And when I came back, I was just wandering around Circular Quay and I walked into a didgeridoo shop picked up a didgeridoo and I played it pretty well and the owner came out and said look how about I just give you a job so she hired me on the spot and then that it just all sort of formed from there it just it just kept going and learned how to play didge and met up with a scene of people in Sydney wrote an album of music and then we before I knew it we we're on the street busking 
you know, we had a CD ready to go. It was just after the 2000 Olympics, so there was a lot of vibe around yeah. Sydney. And you could go out on the street and you could busk and sell CDs. Mm. And so that was how I just kept paying my way as I was learning how to write music in, in my, um, you know, basement, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it just sort of kept going from there, yeah. And then, and then Dan, were you in the UK at this time or had you already moved to Australia? So... Uh, during the 80s, I, I was in, in London working away, uh, trying to be a pop star and having odd jobs here and there. And eventually somebody, a friend of mine, asked me to do music for an ad. Um, and I said, well, what, what do you mean? She goes, well, we need 30 seconds of music. I'm like, easy. Um, and she, she, told, she told me it was 1,500 quid. And that, that, at the time, was probably more money than I'd earned in 10 years of running around trying to, uh, <laughs> trying to make it in the in industry. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I did, did my first ad in London, and at that point I realised that was um, a very interesting way of collaborating, well, not collaborating, joining my love of music with my love of business and my love of, of commerce and, and marketing and advertising and all those other things that mm -hmm. go with it where you're applying your music. It's actually commissioned music. Somebody's yeah. asking you to do something. Yeah. You're not just making music and hoping somebody likes it. You're making music for something specific. And um, met some great people, ended up working for a company called Bronnie Bomb Music, who at the time was sort of on his way out of the industry, but during his uh, heyday, he'd written all the massive jingles in, in England. Um, for uh, you know all the breakfast cereals and all those sort of things, and he was he was very well known in the industry, and he just absolutely was an amazing um, mentor for me oh, wow. to teach me everything about the industry. I didn't know anything about the advertising industry, how it worked, who briefs you, where the money comes from, yeah. and he laid that on me. And and as I was whilst I was working with him, um, I got a call from uh, Les Gock, who used to run and own Song Zoo here in Sydney, and he was keen to have uh, me come out and work for him here in Sydney, which is how I made it out here. So it was a big jump, bit of a uh, leap of faith, but I loved Sydney when I arrived, and I thought, yeah, this is going to work for three years, and that was in '96. So it's been 23 years or something. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then, how did you guys come to get together to form Smith and Western? So after I left uh, Song Zoo after about 10 years to form my own business, um, I I had a, I'd had a, a go at it previously, and it was going really well, but the the partner that I'd chosen at the time and I didn't didn't uh, see eye to eye so I decided to look around and find other creatives to work with and I'd come across Nick uh, online and I loved what he was doing I'd seen um, some of his work and I thought well I must you know put put his name down as as a possible uh, collaborator and at the same time, a friend of mine called Drew Thompson, who's an editor, called me and said, have you heard of this guy called Nick West? He's really cool. You should talk to him. And I thought, well, that's serendipity. Uh, <laughs> called him. And Nick <coughs> was in the middle of setting up his own thing as well. Yeah. So we joined up. Yeah, and it worked out really well <clears throat> when, when Dan uh, made the call. Because when we set up the business, we didn't really have the experience. I mean, Dan had run run, as you, as you said, Song Zoo, but also had had his own um, sound company and he had a lot more experience than we did and he also had the industry contacts. So it made sense as a producer to, to collaborate with a composer. Yeah. Um, and, and as soon as we started, uh, the first day we kicked it off, he had a brief on the table. So, and the briefs haven't stopped coming in. <laughs> And it's been around 12 years now, so pretty pretty happy about that. Um, but yeah, that that sort of meeting together worked out really really well for us. Uh, and and I guess Dan Dan's taught me a lot, and hopefully he's learned some some things a thing or two from me. But together still now, can't play didgeridoo though. <laughs> <laughs> but it feels like um, now we're sort of over those 10 years we've learned a lot about the business side of things mm. and and learned a lot more about what we're what we're here to do it's it's not just about knocking up a track no. it's we're about um you know really helping brands celebrate their personality yeah. and and we're starting to focus more and more on how that factors into that whole ecosystem yeah. and um that's where we've been pushing more and more into the sonic branding well, over tell, the last few tell years. us a bit about what, what goes into um you know sonic branding on a project yeah. 
Yeah, well, um, it's a it's a quite a broad question, Vince. Yeah. <laughs> um, when you when you sort of break it down, I think you got to take a step back and you got to look at look at that brand from 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 the entire in the entirety of a brand and all the touch points that a brand reaches, as well. Um, because sound sound exists in a lot of formats. It can be used on radio, TV, in store. It can be in an environment. It can be on a podcast. It can be the voice. So any element that comes into uh, represent your brand that's that's using sound that's sonic branding because it's an opportunity for you to dial in. That personality, dial in those brand pillars, and make the most of the power of sound. As you said, it's an emotional thing, and and mm. and we've all got a music track that we absolutely love. Yeah. And um, sound sort of like just affects you differently. Like the vibration of it, the sound of it, it really affects you on a deep level. And mm. it is a really powerful tool to use, and it's something that's been slightly overlooked over the years. Yeah. And and over the recent. Year, couple of years it's becoming more and more focused about okay there's a really powerful thing here yeah. <laughs> let's use it and let's and let's apply that to our brand so that's coming yeah. from the brands as well the, yeah. the agencies that we've worked with for you know 20 years are getting on board and bringing it to their clients but their clients are coming to them and for many years there's been a brand bible for a, a, a big large brand and they'll have the colors they need to use the fonts they need to use the tone of voice the mm. casting yeah. everything like that and you flick through it and you go well where's sound yeah and it's now considered part of that brand bible yeah. um and a very important part of that uh, branding tool for for all brands and we're getting so many calls from brands reaching out going we need to know more about this can you can you tell us and yeah. um it's not rocket science but there is a science behind it yeah. and and we've learned uh, a great deal over the last few years working with some of the biggest brands around the world and it's now become not uh, just an afterthought it's a it's very much front of mind on a lot of brands and they're now considering it to be one of the most important things that they they can have in their their branding assets yeah i guess for a long time branding was very much one dimensional it was very much about a mark and and advertising etc or graphics and now mm -hmm. it's all about the, the full sensory experience yeah isn't it? yeah yeah very much so and i and i think um for instance the mac startup sound which has been around for what is it 30 years or something yeah. everyone knows that that's sonic branding when you start that up anywhere in the world you know what that is yeah and people will hear that across the room in a in a you know in a shop or wherever it is that startup sound and that's the max startup sound and everyone knows what world you're getting into there and netflix as soon as you hear that netflix sonic brand sonic logo you know what's going to happen. You're going to get into the, the Netflix world, and that's an exciting world, and that gets you ready for it. And that's our world now where we're trying to create that for other brands. Yeah, it was, it was on the radio the other day, I was listening to a show, and they were talking about, you know, that song, Smoke on the Water. Uh -huh. Yeah. Da, da, da. Yeah. And the guy was saying, the composer, the writer of the song, said that's Beethoven yeah. played back to front. Wow. <laughs> it's just genius. It's like, wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, I guess that's a, something that sticks in your head. It's memorable. It yeah. belongs to a certain time or a product and things like that. Um, talk about um, the likes of kind of KO um, or Binge, like projects you guys have worked on. Yeah, sure. Helping bringing those brands to life. Yeah, so the KO project actually kicked off because we've got a close association with Mike DeSetto, who's the director of Never Sit Still. Yeah. Good friend of mine. He actually used to busk on the street with me. Oh, did he? <laughs> he was my busking what partner. What did he play? Which is ironic. Uh, a busker. He just collected the money. He, he was a didgeridoo. No, <laughs> oh, he played he didgeridoo. Well. Oh, I met him um, at yeah. uh, that, that shop I was telling you about. Fantastic. We put on a didgeridoo competition and wow. in rocked Mike DeSetto, and he was pretty pretty hot on a didge. Wow. That's <laughs> um, cool. But actually, that's where I, I digress. But he's, he's a great businessman, and also he's very loyal to us, which is fantastic. Um, so he, he was working on uh, a lot of these end frame animations yeah. um, and as you were saying before Dan about it being an afterthought the conversation would literally come up in the room when they had the animation for chaos you know coming together yeah. they're like oh we probably should put some sound on this <laughs> and it, and it was one of those moments and he was in the room he's like well I've got the guys for that yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he got us in early on these types of projects um, 
and Ko uh, was was a really successful one for us. It was it was a it was a great project. Um, and it's I was watching the NBA the other night with my son, and at the end of the show, um, up comes the Ko Ding Ding logo reveal yeah. at the end. So it's still being used, which is great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so and those projects, um, they can take quite a while to find that one sound. Um, I, I think one thing that we've learned is that the process to get to that very short sound can actually be longer than it is to create a three-minute piece of brand music because, yeah, because the stakeholders, because the, the amount of um, options that, that actually end up sort of permeating out of the, the roots and the trajectories that you go with the sound as you're developing it. Yeah. Um, but eventually, if you've got a good team on board and you've got a key decision maker uh, at the top, you'll get to that. You you will find that you know the north star and get an amazing uh, result. Is it is it like a lot of creative process where it gets kind of diluted down and the kind of compromised, or, or <laughs> are people pretty open to your advice on that? Yeah, that's. Or do they test it as well? It's a good point, Vince. Um, and I think you, you, you know, you're in the creative world, and, yeah. and you'd you'd come in with some amazing ideas that can can be watered down or diluted purely because of paralysis on decision making. And yeah. sometimes you do end up in a place where you might not be as happy. Yeah. Um, as, as you say, decision uh, making a decision with research is something that we're actually looking into right now, yeah. and we're partnering up, aren't we, Dan? Yes, in that area. So, yeah, the creative process for, for making music um, can be interesting when you're making, uh, as I said before, applied music, commissioned music. So somebody's come to us to say, I want something like this or like that. Yeah. We'll begin making that track. We'll, we will present it as we think it's best presented, mixed as we would mix it. The client will come in who may or may not have any musical knowledge and start telling us mm. how to... Yeah. redo that track or remix it or change things around, rearrange it. That's fine. There is a point at which we always go, right, we're sort of handing over the, the creative here because we wouldn't do that. Um, we, uh, <laughs> nice. we backtrack. We wouldn't. So I should tell you, you guys haven't had any recordings before. Uh, can you turn off your phone for Christ's sake? It sakes. was off. It was just, My phone's off. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so we will do as much as we can to get that music track uh, as best as we can. But if the client wants to take out all the symbols for whatever reason, in the end, uh, quite often we'll, we will have to do that. So, yes, the the, the what you alluded to there about the... Um, uh, what did you call it? The, the dilution, dilution of, the, uh, yeah. of the creative process. Um, with Sonic Logos, obviously it's still sound, it's still music. There is a different process to it, and because mm. it's normally three or four seconds long, yeah. less likely to be compromised. <laughs> However, we do have to have somebody leading the conversation, and when yeah. we've got a, a group of clients, yeah, yeah. we try and focus on who's probably going to make the end decision yeah. and uh, like you also alluded to testing and researching is obviously something we're quite keen to do yeah. to take that process away from them so they can go we really like these three yeah. but we can't make up our mind which one let's let yeah, yeah. 2,000 people from our core um, brand customers Decide. Anything new since we last met that you could say you talk, talk about? Well, we've we've got a whole load of big brands talking to us at the moment. But just to pick up back on um, Ko, that's part of a sort of trifecta, as we call it, for a, a, a company called Stream Motion, who's part of Foxtel. Uh, they are uh, the uh, platform for making apps like Ko Ko Sport, which we've done. They also did Flash News, which is a news streaming app, and they also do Binge, which is the entertainment streaming yep. app. Uh, we've just done uh, the the new Binge logo as well. So those three are out there in the market, and it's great to be involved with with a with a company making such great uh, streaming apps. And the Binge the the Ko one has become a bit of an iconic. Uh, ding ding is what they call it and you'll hear it in offices and it's kind of annoying because when you open up the app it makes that noise yeah. so if somebody wants to quickly you know watch the highlights of Spurs overnight it's going to go ding ding what do you yeah. call the Netflix the boom boom yeah? <laughs> yeah. it's very effective I saw it the other day and I was like ah mm -hmm. that one yeah. and it's, it's, it's super sharp but memorable and it feels so right getting it right is 
a big part in creative uh, our, our, all of our creative input and yeah. um, the more people that get involved in the project it's important to you know, how, how, who takes the creative lead on that situation mm. is it a creative director is it the motion guy is it the client mm. Mm. you know I'm like what is the advice for designers having you know having conversations with their clients and for people thinking about their own brand like how, how to approach it or how to kind of value it and yeah. understand that that actually could make a significant difference in uh, elevating the brand experience well, as we were talking, when I came over to your studio, when we were talking about this topic, it's really important for them to remember the, the value of it, as you say. And the value of the sonic branding, actually, there's metrics out there that, that really show that and prove that it, that it increases memorability of a brand. It, re, it increases the, um, the emotional connection people have with the brand as well. Um, you know, brands like Apple use amazing um, soundtracks for all, all of their films and they're really cu- pushing the envelope with music in, in all their ads and they're just making their brand just like using music so powerfully to drive that mm. contemporary feeling, um, you know, the connection that you're getting. So just to bring it back to some of the metrics, if you've got a melody in a Sonic logo, that's going to uptick retention by another 17%. On, on top of um, if you don't have it. Yeah. Um, things like using the brand name in a, in a, in a Sonic logo also increase our memorability as well. And, and it, that also increases the bottom line of a company too. So there's data out there to, to sort of prove that. And if you can go back to your clients and say things like that and show that there's going to be um, an increase in, in the memorability of your brand, then it's it's a useful tool to have. Yeah. Um, and the, the application of it is just as important because if we've created a Sonic logo, we then hopefully can hand over our suggestions for how it's used. If uh, an agency have a, have a brand and they're making a new ad, they may not want that Sonic logo at the end because it doesn't fit with their creative. Um, and whilst we understand that, and there are times where perhaps it's not um, uh, the best idea to have it there but most of the time we like to suggest make it work make it work with your communications yeah. um, if it's going on an app make sure it's in the right place don't overdo it don't put it at the front and the back maybe yeah. just at the back um, if you're making an ad make sure there's room for that Sonic logo at the end and it's audible because some people, um, an editor or, or uh, you know, another uh, sound company for that matter, might get all the assets and they've decided to crossfade from one music track into the uh, Sonic logo and it'll clash and it won't work. So we try and help clients moving forward with the application of that, of that logo. Um, and also Sonic branding, is, as we've said previously, it's not just about the logo. We might create a piece of brand music mm. um, the most famous at this point in time in Australia is the Bunnings Warehouse uh, <laughs> a jingle, which, yes, is a jingle. But um, it's most, most, mostly um, loved by the Australian public, and they know it, and they know that, that brand through the, through the song and through the branding. Um, we've obviously been involved in lots of brand tracks, and, for instance, with Medibank, they had a problem with their communications not fitting with our sonic logo that we created for them so they said we need some different energy levels of a brand track to apply to all our communications so it became a bigger thing for them Mm. Um, also brands need to think about the sounds in their app and the sounds in their stores you know when you go into a a shop um, you know it might be H&M or it might be Nike or whoever it is the playlist in there should be curated. You don't want the assistant manager coming in and playing their hard house at nine in the morning, scaring off all the customers. So all of that sort of stuff is part of Sonic branding. And we we advise clients right across the board on on how they can best use Sonic branding. How do do people work with, obviously, Sonic Sonic branding, and then there's what you referred to before, the tone of voice. Uh And often when we're doing a brand or refreshing a brand, tone of voice is, is vital part of how one communicates Uh um i guess often it's not the actual okay your tone of voice should be spoken by this person or having a particular person who becomes the i guess the ambassador of that brand Uh, how do how do how do you do that how do you choose who is the right person to be the voice of that brand 
Well, we've got some fantastic casting directors to help us find those voices. We're in the middle of a, a big new campaign for a, a company called Online, and they're looking for their voice. We're trying to go outside of the normal uh, places that people look for voiceovers. Uh, of course, there are some fantastic voiceovers in Sydney uh, working all day, every day, mm-hmm. um, and they will come in and give you a really, really good read. But they will also be going to a, another session to do something for another client. And I've heard the same voiceover mm-hmm. on two or three ads in one break. And yeah, that's wow. not very clever thinking. So we try and find people who are obviously not overused. Yeah. Um, for instance, I believe Harvey Norman have been using the same voiceover artist for many, many years, and they have bought him out. He's not allowed to work for anyone else. Um, obviously, they, he gets paid well, but that's their voice, and they don't want him to appear on uh, yeah. anyone else's ad. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it's it's just thinking ahead. And how do you find that tone of voice? Hopefully, it's through all the brand pillars that we've discussed with the client and what their uh, what their customers think of them and what they believe they are in the marketplace, um, and also setting apart from their competitors as well. Mm. It's interesting you said about. Um Harvey Norman, I was thinking, made me think of Bing Lee. Yeah. And then the, the mum and the son, yeah. the banter they have. I love, I love yeah, those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we actually re- made really the well brand written. music for Bing Lee. Oh, did you? Yeah. yeah and it I was love a, those. It was an Eric Idle track. What was the track? Um, I was Look on the Bright Side yeah, of Life. Yeah, so they had licensed ah. Look on the Bright Side of Life. Right. And, um, the, yeah, the two creatives, um, Sandy and... Um, Luke, uh, Sandy and Luke, who who do all of the um, all the copy for Bingley, and they look after it's it. Very clever. They came to us and they were like, "Oh, yeah, this has run out of license, and uh, Eric Idle wants I don't know half a million dollars." Yeah. <laughs> and and um, so we we sort of worked up a, a bunch of different options for Bingley, and uh, ended up with you know this this simple piece of brown music, but it works for the mother and son combo duo. Yeah, um, they can have a great show. Oh, are they? Yeah, always. <laughs> I mean, it's um, funny. It's funny. There's kind of the the difference between radio. I love I love listening to radio. I still listen to the BBC yeah, right. in in London yeah. uh, on my app. But I listen to local radio. There's also that kind of it's Frank Walker from National Times. Like <laughs> yeah. that. Like there's there's certain kind of tones of voice that is quite uh, yeah. aggravating for some people. But it's just sure. repeated, repeated, repeated across a lot of the radio networks. Yeah, uh, promoting tiles. Yep, um, I know, I know that guy is the CEO or something or the yeah. CFO or something of that organization, which is interesting. There's a lot more of that goes on in Australia, I think, than, than uh, in the UK. Yeah. Um, tends to be more elevated in um, in its approach in the UK. But it's, it's, it's interesting that uh, obviously a lot of people recognize that, even if it might, not, might, might be aggravating. I mean, I guess in a way, all brands are looking for their point of difference yeah. to kind of, uh, you know, shift or to create a connection mm. uh, against yeah. kind of the noise of everything else. That's that's true, Vince, and, and often we talk to our clients about that. It's about standing out in your category and, and being unique um, and, and finding that point of difference. Now, if you're if you're talking about medical insurance, you know, d- don't go for sort of like a sappy piano track and a cello and a sad piece of music to make you feel sorry for someone who's sick. Let's let's change that and shift it up, and that's what's happening now. Like they're coming up with music that is really going against convention, mm. and it's the companies that get ahead of that that they come up with some really you know unique dynamic music that cuts through that really get out in front because it's just like as we say it's just a very very powerful way to um, influence people and how do you know like i guess for, for us when we're doing branding you kind of do a lot of work around making sure that what you're doing is original and and mm-hmm. researching and going through lawyers and all kinds of stuff to kind of mm-hmm. make sure that this is not something that already exists sometimes yeah. one in a thousand times mm-hmm. we get it we get it wrong or someone's yeah. done something before that we haven't seen and we see it later when it's been mm-hmm. kind of Produced. Yeah. Do, how, do, how do you navigate that with music? Yeah, sound? I'll take that one. Because um, we've done probably, I don't know, a couple of hundred brand music tracks over the years. Yeah. We've certainly, um, you know, experienced experienced that as well. And sometimes it's where, you know, a creative director will just be adamant that they want to push you closer and closer to their piece of reference music. Yeah. So sometimes that comes from a very conservative mindset, um, not giving the the composers the, the, the sort of flexibility to stray and be creative and, and come up with something unique. Um, other times it purely comes down to the fact that there's only so many chords 
in the universe and so many chord patterns that work together. Mm. I mean, Ed Sheeran just came out of a court case uh, no, where, really where they tried to take him and 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 he managed to win that because he had a great argument. You know, you can't copyright chord progressions and that and that's what they literally came back to, to him. It was on. a Marvin Gaye song, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> and they'd had a go at um, Blurred Lines was another one and, and my take on the Blurred Lines thing was that that wasn't close enough. I mean, if, if you're going to let someone get you on a drum pattern, which is what that was about essentially, then we're all screwed. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> we're, we're all going to be pa- paranoid and, um, not you know, not be confident. But we did have one example where we, we created a piece of uh, music, totally original piece of music, um, everyone loved it. It went out to market. We all went away on holiday and then suddenly got a, an email, a frantic email, like I think it was New Year's Eve when we were on holiday. I was at a campsite <laughs> and um, they're like, we've got a problem. You know, the, the, a composer's coming after us saying that you guys have copied his track. Oh. And we were like, what? I, you know, the, we had no idea and we are like, what track? <laughs> you know, there was no reference for this piece of music. Oh. Anyway, they sent the music to us and we actually discovered that it was quite similar. And, and and the email comes in and, and we got back we all rushed back to the studio we had a listen to the track and there was a lot of similarities you know it had a similar instrument I think it had back then it was like I don't know folk music so it had a ukulele and a, a foot stomp um, and the chord progression was the same so the first couple of seconds of the track were pretty much identical but then it, when, it, when it came in to the melody that's where it all changed and, and we'd, we'd, we had our own original melody and so on so yeah we, we sometimes sail a little close don't we but well that's the thing you can stumble across Across, yeah. um, uh, uh, something like that, which was unintentional. He had three, 300 views on YouTube. We'd never seen it before. Um, but the, a, a piece of reference music is is really important, I think, and it gives That's everybody cool. a point of reference to start from. Mm. But let's not copy it. Nobody wants to hear mm. a cheap copy of a Coldplay song. And I think yeah. looking out there to the to the general public, they can spot it too. Yeah. And I think it's yeah. really silly to try and go, oh, can you get it a bit closer? It doesn't sound doesn't sound as close as we were. And you think, well, why would you want it to? You need to get the emotion out of that track. You need to get the energy out of that track. You don't want them to think, oh, I know what you've done. You've copied Coldplay or whatever it is. And um, that's just... Um, hopefully we can guide our, our clients through that. Um very quickly, many years ago, I had a, a client who gave us a piece of reference music. We created something similar. They said, "Oh, it's not, it's not close enough." Um, we said, "Well, we'll have another go." And we went back to them. They said, it's "Still not close enough. We're going to fly up and spend the day with you and see if we can sort it out." Um, when they arrived, we played their reference track and pretended it was our track. And they said, yeah, yeah, it's it's not, it's just not, doesn't sound like our reference track. Oh, that's clever. Uh, it's not clever because we never what? saw those people again. <laughs> but it did make them think, oh, okay, okay we're sometimes. just being silly here. Yeah. It was our reference yeah. music and, and the, the people yeah. who were working on this, um, we, you know, we felt a bit bad, but it was time to say, nah, come on, guys, have a think about what well, you're what doing. Do they, what do they feel when you said, they said, by the way, this is your reference track uh, they went very quiet and shuffled off really? <laughs> yes well, I th- so you I can't, can't help them out for that point no. if, if someone's that you know obsessed so it would never be right lost then, the, no lost, exactly lost it would all never focus be right. lost all perspective but yeah I mean a reference yeah. track helps us and, yeah. and, and maybe a playlist helps us yeah. and that's a really good point of, of reference for everybody to go this is the area we want to play in and when I say play Music is fun. Music mm. is the good yeah. part of the job. And yeah, hopefully yeah. when people come and work with us, they get the fact that we love what we do, yeah. absolutely love it. And you play music. It's play. Yeah. So we're, we're involved in, yeah, in yeah. a part of the industry that should be fun, should be enjoyable. And when all else is done and you've gone off and you've found your locations and you've found this and you've got your casting and done this and you've cut it up and you've been in the editing suite for two or three weeks getting it all sorted – come into the music guys and enjoy the final process of putting it all together and that's the, that's the bit that that we love and that's what we're involved in and that sounds really cool and, yeah. and have you done longer length uh productions as well mm-hmm. yeah so um, i actually started out doing film film score okay. so uh, my brother's a director and when he went through film school it was it started off with his short films and yeah. anyway that sort of evolved out into longer form stuff and 
feature film work, but when when we got together with Smith and Weston, we we actually did some television series work. So we did um, a television series called Wonderland on Channel Ten. Oh yeah, yeah, which ran for three seasons. Um, so that was fun. Like we were doing like an hour of um, music every every week for you know twelve episodes per season, and we ran that out for a few years. So that experience of writing longer form cues and content was really useful for us as well. Mm. And it actually can segue into how you work with your brands. Uh, if you think about a, tr- a show like Succession, that theme oh, yeah. that comes in, that opening yeah. score, uh, how, how powerful that is and how memorable it is yeah. and how they use it throughout the show, it just keeps getting done in different ways yeah. in each different scene, you know, and, and that's what we do with brand music. So like, we'll create the theme of a brand and then we'll apply that across all their different uh, executions. Sometimes it might need to be a softer touch, but we're using all those brand melodies and the brand themes and running that across all of their different assets and giving them a whole suite of different um, tracks that they can use, yeah. which is pretty cool. Talking about being screwed, like you mentioned before, but how do you guys feel about AI in the music world? Hmm. We're, we're ready to check it out. No, no, I just, how does that affect you? How do you, how do you utilize that now if you do? And what do you see the future yeah. with IP? I think IP is going to be a big issue going forward. Sure. Well, it, I, I guess it's early days, but we're ready to play with it. Um, we've been been working a, a, a lot with AI on various things. One thing is, uh, for instance, pod, podcasting. Uh, people are, are recording podcasts at home and on Zoom and all this sort of stuff, and they're sending in their recordings to us, and we're having to work with some pretty um, uh, bad recordings that people are doing, as I said, off their own computer, and they don't know anything about what they're doing, and they send in this recording, and we're putting a, a podcast together. Uh, there's some great AI, AI out there where you can upgrade a recording to make mm. it sound like it's on a mic it's yeah. pretty bloody good wow. and we've already started using that for for that sort of stuff in terms of music um i think we all know out there's there's some pretty interesting stuff going on where mm. people are using uh, ai voice of somebody like eminem on a track and you you go well that sounds like eminem singing mm. it, it's not it's <laughs> ai we're not playing in that area that's not what we want to do and we certainly don't want to get sued but um we we have started using it and i don't know whether it's going to affect things too much but i would be worried out there if i was a voiceover artist because <clears throat> voiceover is something where you can load up your voice and you can type in what you want this person to say after you've loaded up your voice and it'll come back at you Um, so I would be worried if I was a voiceover artist uh, in terms of how how they stop that happening. Just back on the music one thing about music for me it's always been about experimentation and any tool you've got whether it's a guitar, a didgeridoo, a computer or even AI it's it's a tool for a musician or a creative person to use Mm -hmm. and that's exciting, that's exciting for me um, a lot of the best things I've ever done have been an accident. <laughs> it might have been in the studio fiddling around and you put it into some effect and out came this incredible sound. Yeah. Um, and I think AI is going to be one of those things. It's going to be a, a bit of a, a you know an amazing tool. Uh, hopefully we don't lose all our jobs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I guess in terms of the accuracy of underst- using AI accurately to understand a sound or a sonic branding that might resonate with the intended audience. There's going to be more, less, less guesswork involved. Mm. I think. Imagine that's going to be yeah. interesting. But I guess, the, I guess the question is then, how long is it before they that AI designs the music, designs the brand, yeah. designs the whole experience? That's a really good point. And I guess that does come down to the question: Are we all trying to sound the same? Like, is AI going to push our trajectory with? speech with the written word with design with visual imagery and sound where it all just goes into this one pit and comes out as oh you know that's what everyone should it should sound like one voice Um, creativity is about breaking all of those conventions and being different you know so if the AI says it's right you know that doesn't mean we should be doing it I think I think it's about um, you know we were just having a um, we did a project with Future Deluxe recently um, and it was a really interesting process and the creative director over there was really cool and their whole modus operandi is basically if it's been done before we don't want to do it and that's all they try to do is just break all their conventions down Mm. and that is a sort of mindset that you know leads to good good work that's really good uh Come back, Nick. I like that. Um, have you guys designed your lives? 
not yet. <laughs> yeah. Okay. To a certain extent, it's it's part of the balance that everybody has with um, work and and the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, I've now realised that this isn't work for me. Um, and just today? Or, or? No, no, over, over the past 10 years working yeah. with Nick and um, on, on Smith & Weston, um, I've got two sons who are in their early 20s uh, trying to work out what to do with their life. And I would really like to stress to them that try and find something that you love doing. Yeah, and that, and that's, that's been said many times before. But... Um, one of my sons is is a tradie. He's uh, is doing an apprenticeship. Um, my other son's working at, uh, at Dan Murphy's at the moment, and my wife works for herself. And one night uh, we were talking, and they were they were saying, "Oh, I've got to go to work tomorrow." It was Sunday night, and I'm like, "Well, I'm look- looking forward to it." <laughs> and I think you've got to design your life so yeah. so that you get what you want out of it. And work is such a big important part of your life. Yeah. Um, sure. Find a job that pays good money and go home and forget about it. That's fine. But um, you've got to enjoy yourself as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I totally agree. Do you enjoy yeah. your life? Oh, God, yeah. I love it. Yeah. I absolutely love it. And I think it might, might be a generational thing as well, but I think um, definitely been – I don't know. I don't think it's luck. I don't think finding your thing is luck. I think it's just perseverance and trying different things and trying to see what uh. resonates with you. Uh. Yeah. Once you find the thing that just gives you goosebumps and you can't wait to get up in the morning uh. – like that's something that is so yeah. it, when it feels so right it's like a relationship when it feels so right it really is right yeah. and it makes your whole life feel better uh, and more fulfilled and and, yeah. and a sense of purpose I think the sense of yeah. purpose is, is really so important for all of us um, I've got in, one in question for you oh. uh, bring it right back to where we started where yeah. um, our, our paths had crossed inadvertently where you had done the album cover from Matt Bianca yeah. and I'd been uh, working with them as well are album covers over and done? Do you still do them? Are, is there still an industry? Because album covers were such an important part of music. Yeah, I thought. Is yeah, that yeah. is it gone? Yeah, I th- no, I, I think they still continue. Um, the budgets have gone. <laughs> probably. Uh, we did one for the preachers a few years ago. That was the last one I think we did, um, which was really cool. But I, I do think there's there's so many kind of now with the way that people communicate with with the social media, etc. There's so many brands coming to the market. So many people have a voice. Like you can be not have a record deal or a label to have a voice or to be heard. Uh, I think that um, I guess there's a whole plethora of uh, 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 people kind of creating these brands. But yeah, I think that yeah, absolutely, the big bands are still continuing. The album cover is still a very important part of the brand. I mean, I'm as a young guy. Uh, you know, way, way back, you know, getting the 12 inch records and yeah. sitting there looking at U2 covers over and over mm. again, the fold out, pulling it like Reading the every bit of, oh, every yeah, everything bit. in there and looking at all the pictures. It, it was a big part of buying an album. And now yeah. you just turn on Spotify and start playing. Yeah. I think what's also really interesting is the order of those albums, of vinyl. A lot of work went into the order of each song. Uh, yeah. Today, people just press shuffle. People don't yep. know the order, and I think that's something interesting too. It's almost like it's kind of like and it's not Sonic branding, but it's kind of the me- well, it kind of is because each track you listen to a Beatles album over mm. and over and over mm. again, you know the order. Yeah. You know when yeah. the, what the next the gap between each song even. Yeah. And that's something which is kind of triggers some can real powerful connection with that music. And there's a journey, Story, yeah. you know, halfway through, you have to turn it over. And, and that moment where you had to get up out of your seat or somebody yeah. had to get, you know, leave the dinner table to go and turn over the record. That's a you know, big part of what we've lost, I think. Yeah. I remember sitting in, in my car many years ago when my son was much younger and I was playing a Tom Waits album. And we'd been listening to it for the morning in, in and out of the car. And my son said, Dad, it sounds like it's the same person on every track. I said, it is. <laughs> and he said, what's going on? I said, it's an album. He didn't know what that was. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Actually, That's just cool. back onto the vinyl thing, it is making a comeback. And yeah. just this last year, we've we've actually had two projects where they've commissioned a vinyl record pressing, um, which was really, really cool. One of them was for Coopers. We did it. We did this uh, brand track for Coopers um, called Roll On, Band Smith and Weston, ah, and we've neat. got it hanging in the studio. It's got a it's got a green vinyl in the Coopers colours. Wow, uh, it looks cool. really cool. And the other one's for CPS, which is a project we did. Um, 
recently for Moffat and Moffat, and that one there as well they pre- pressed the vinyl for. So it is really cool uh, when people go to that effort and, and actually value the music to that point where they're like, yeah, we're willing to press some wax for this thing, you know? Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's super cool. Uh, music's a vital part of our lives. And um, do you guys, like, sing in the shower and, like, sing in, you know, wherever you go? Are you, like, constantly in the music zone or what? Well, these days, obviously, we're, we're as I said, we're, we're working for clients to make music. Um, we do make music for our own enjoyment as well. But yeah. um, it is interesting when an idea might come to you yeah. for something that you're working on and you might be mowing the lawn or, as you say, in the shower and you go, oh, I've got an idea. And you go in and it might not work, but at least that I- idea comes from, from somewhere, nowhere. And and that's that, <laughs> and that's the interesting thing about creativity. Well, where where does it come from? Yeah. No, where does no, it I'm, come from? I'm serious. Where does it yeah, come yeah. from? Well, no, sorry. <laughs> I don't David, know. David Lynch um, sort of imagines that there's some ocean. Like the, the, there's a, there's an ocean and then the ideas just emerge out of the ocean. Ah, that's like David it. Lynch's style. Yeah. <laughs> I, I find that the, the, the ideas come for me and my team that come from the brief. Like just really immersing yourself in the brief, listening deep. Not knowing is good. Not, not knowing used to be really scary. Yeah. Mm. I used to be petrified of not knowing what the answer was or what the solution was. But mm-hmm. now I actually feel comfort in that space, as long as it doesn't go on forever. Yeah. You know, that not knowing is actually something will surface out of the ocean mm. or wherever it might come from. Yeah. Um, well, it's a just, puzzle, isn't it, Vince? Like, you've actually got to solve that. Yeah. When you don't know, you've, you've got to find that thing. And, yeah, that, and, and that's when the good ideas come. And that determination to find it, the determination to know, knowing that it's there somewhere, that you will find it and you'll get it right, like that is something also which is needed, that you, you know, you're know you hungry to make it really, really great, uh, uh, as opposed to just getting it done. Uh-huh. You know? We uh, we work with a, a lot of composers and sound designers and engineers who are part of our team. Uh, not all of them are here in Sydney. They're, they're all around the world. We, mm. we collaborate with them when we want them to come on board for a different project. And we will give them the same brief that we've been given. And it's so interesting what comes back oh, sometimes yeah, right. when you go, wow, that is a really interesting way of understanding this brief in, in, a, in their own way. Yeah. Um, and we'll present uh, often four or five different ideas for one track and hopefully they all hit the mark and it's down to subjective who who likes what in the end but it is interesting how one brief to four or five different composers will come back with something often quite different yeah that's interesting when um it'd be interesting on the client side the client goes to people like us all the time and and maybe three companies and get three companies to pitch Uh on a project yeah you do what you feel is right with what you know um, and it feels really, really right, and mm-hmm. you believe in it. But with somebody else, it can be completely, still be really right, but very different. And yeah. that's that's really interesting. I like that diversity and the kind of the color and the the, the difference of approach. Yeah, and you don't um, win the job, and then you hear what did win the job, and it's a pile of shit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't be sour grapes, mate. Yeah, right? uh, take the high road. Toilet flushing sound now, please. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, on that note, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's uh, yeah, let's cool. uh, let's end our chat. But thank yep. you guys so much for today. It's been really cool to catch up with you on Sonic Branding. Thanks, yeah, Vince. Thanks, it's great Vince. to to, great to be, be talking to you. Thanks for listening in to today's episode of Design Your Life with the dynamic duo Dan Hickson and Nick West, co-founders of Smith & Western. Tune in to the next episode where I catch up with Stephanie Baum, the internationally acclaimed organizational psychologist helping organizations and teams across the world come together to make a difference. Thanks for listening to this episode of Design Your Life. If you'd like to find out more about how you can design your life, head to the website at designyourlife.com.au. If you found this episode inspiring, please don't forget to review and subscribe. If you have any ideas or like to get in touch, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email at hello at frostcollective.com.au.